epic tales of mystery and magic to accounts of battle and empire from the verses of ancient poets to the masterpieces of our times a light on literature brings to life China's literary heritage and a look at the world in a new light Hi, I'm Huang Rei. On today's Alight on Literature, we continue by presenting the book Tides from the West, a Chinese autobiography written by Chang Mengling. Chang Mengling was a well-respected Chinese educator. He graduated from the University of California, Berkeley, and obtained his PhD from Columbia University. He served as the education minister of the Republic of China in the late 1920s before being appointed president of Peking University in the 1930s. This autobiography reads like a movie script that takes you back to experience what China was like a century ago. Via this book, readers can relive the quiet village life of Chan's childhood the fast-changing urban life of his teen years, and the impact of his growing awareness of Western thought, as well as the years of studying abroad that would shape his thinking. This takes place against the background of the end of dynastic rule in China and the country's transition into a republic, a journey full of social change, conflict, and war. Today, Tang Damin narrates the second part of Chapter 33. Enjoy. Chinese food is rich in its variety because it is always ready to absorb alien elements. Western food is comparatively simple because it is, I think, not so ready to take in foreign materials. Tea was indeed introduced into Europe from China centuries ago. Spices were introduced from the East, and in search for a shorter trade route to India, Columbus happened upon America. Worcestershire sauce, I am told, was developed from Chinese bean sauce. Aside from these, Western food has remained untouched by Eastern influences. Chop suey houses are found by the hundreds in America, and Americans are quite fond of chop suey, but know few other Chinese dishes. On the other hand, China keeps on absorbing more and more alien elements, sometimes sensibly and at other times rather indiscriminately. Not only food, but clothing, shelter, ideas, social customs, and so forth. In most cases, the process of absorption is through unconscious rather than conscious action. It is something like the absorption of nutriment from the soil by the roots of a tree. They absorb and cannot do otherwise. It is the nature of a growing tree to absorb, or it would cease to grow. The introduction and absorption of alien civilization from China's western frontiers were accomplished in the course of many, many centuries, during which foreign elements came into the country only in trickles. Therefore, she took them in gradually and slowly digested them. It was for the most part an unconscious process, 
It did not change the main course of Chinese civilization, but was something like the attraction of a magnet for iron particles. They cluster around it, but the magnet does not change its position. Western civilization, on the other hand, came to China's eastern frontiers by sea in torrents, in all its fierceness, speed, and magnitude, and in the short span of some fifty years. To try to absorb Western civilization, with all that the French and industrial revolutions had contributed to it, was like gobbling up many days' food supply at one meal. Naturally, China suffered some discomfort, not to say unbearable stomach ache. Thus, Western civilization at one time became so distasteful to China that she feared it, cursed. Kicked the table over and turned from it in despair, only to find more food being pressed on her. The reaction against Western civilization was a reaction against food after a stomachache through much overeating. The abortive reforms of 1898 were but a case of overeating. The Boxer Rebellion of 1900 was a violent case of acute and complicated indigestion. China was forced on the operating table to be operated on by Western doctors, the Allied armies of eight nations. For that, she had a handsome bill to pay, 450 million taels, and in the operation, almost lost her life. The doctrine of Zhang Zhidong that Chinese culture is fundamental and Western civilization is supplementary is no more than to say that a sound stomach is more important to health than the foods it is to take. So China tried to move cautiously, measuring her steps instead of lengthening them. But the tides of Western civilization would not wait for her; they lashed her eastern shores. Overflowed into the rich Pearl and Yangtze valleys, and rapidly extended to the Yellow River Valley. She had to go on taking more imported food in spite of her recent serious upset. By 1902, the students who had the best appetites caught up with the spirit of the times and revolution against established authorities. Educational, political, and moral, as well as intellectual, became the catchword of the rising generation. Burdened with the legacy of the past, which seemed to them at the time no more than the dead hand of a bygone civilization, the receptive mind of youth took so enthusiastically to Western ideas as to offset the influences of tradition. Soon after the opening of the five treaty ports, China had established arsenals, dockyards, machine shops, schools of foreign languages, had translated books on elementary sciences, and sent students to study in America. Being defeated in various wars of self-defense against Western powers, she started to build a navy. A small navy was built, indeed, only to be destroyed by Japan in 1894. Japan could not endure to have China have a navy. Failing this, China went a step further by taking up the reform of government, army, and education. 
the imperial government at Peking began to prepare for the adoption of a Western constitutional form of government. It established new systems of education, organized modern armies and police, and sent large numbers of students to study abroad. This may be regarded as the first conscious effort in history to absorb a foreign civilization on a large scale, and it had far-reaching consequences in China's national life. The reforms in education were the most important because they were the best planned, with most foresight, and dealt directly with the rising generation whose minds were least fettered by traditional ideas. Later, when the students of one school generation grew up and came into power, they adopted more Western ways, and consequently, those of the succeeding generation were in a better position to absorb more new ideas. When these came to power in their turn, they went still further in Westernization, and more new measures were introduced into the government, army, and schools. Thus, each new generation was more modernized than the previous one. Welcome to a light on literature, a representation of timeless works from Chinese literature. Today's narration by Tang Daming is "Tides from the West," a Chinese autobiography written by Chang Mengling. Chang Mengling was a well-respected Chinese educator. He served as the education minister of the Republic of China in the late 1920s, before being appointed president of Peking University in the 1930s. This autobiography reads like a movie script. That takes you back to experience what China was like a century ago. Enjoy. The 1919 student movement in Peking, the emphasis upon science and modern democratic ideas by professors of the National University there. And the literary revolution, sponsored by Professor Hu Shi, were the beginnings of conscious effort to absorb Western thought, hitherto limited mainly to the industrial and political spheres. This effort came nearer to the heart of Chinese culture, and with it, a new leaf was turned in the cultural history of China. For by this means, China has been trying to catch up with the advancing tides of the world. Chinese civilization, with compass pointing to the west, has gradually shifted its course to meet the main currents of Western civilization. And in the next fifty years, while still retaining its own characteristics, it will flow in the common channels of the coming civilization of the world. So far, China has already received much benefit from Westernization. The freedom of women to be on equal terms with men in social activities, to marry and remarry, and to have their feet unbound, has been gained through the influence of Western respect for women. Western medicine has prevented plagues which wrought yearly havoc among the teeming millions. Painless operations have relieved the suffering of thousands of people. Machinery and inventions have improved means of production and contributed much to the enjoyment of life. 
And it goes without saying that modern weapons of war have also helped people to kill more and to be killed. Modern science has widened the scope of knowledge. Scientific methods have been carried into the study of Chinese history, philosophy, and literature. Above all, the old superstitions in which people used to live are giving way to the enlightenment of scientific truths. The greater our capacity to absorb Western ideas, the more our civilization will be enriched. Poverty and disease, twin curses of Chinese national life, will gradually disappear in proportion to the extent and thoroughness of China's modernization. To me, in this respect, modernization and Westernization seem inseparable, if not identical. Since the process of modernization began in the West and has gone forward without interruption, so China cannot get one without getting the other. In a way, modernization has been as much imposed upon the West as Westernization upon China. Wherever the spearhead of modern invention passes through, it changes the means of production. Creates problems of distribution and control, and thus gives rise to new problems. Men must adjust themselves to changing conditions, the constant changes of environment, and adjustments of man to them impose a progress on him. Imagine yourself looking down on Europe after the French Revolution. You would see that there had not been much visible change on the surface of that continent since the Roman Empire. But if you took another look half a century after the Industrial Revolution, the changes would be quite noticeable. After still another half century, you would find networks of railways covering the surface of all Europe and America too, with trains crawling on them like thousands of centipedes. Here and there, factories with chimneys sticking up would cluster in the large industrial centers like fantastic beehives. Steamboats carrying manufactured goods would be shuttling in and out of harbors, ready to bear the finished products of the factories to all the corners of the earth. These same steamboats, half a century ago, brought to China the lucifer matches. Clocks, kerosene lamps, toys, and other useful and ingenious foreign articles that I played with in childhood in that tranquil village. The innocent and unconscious absorption of these curious things was the beginning of the great change that was to bring China in line with the trend toward modernization, with all its accompanying sufferings, turmoils, and perils. And with the rapid disappearance of the pleasant, tranquil life of old China, heretofore the absorption of foreign elements, conscious or unconscious, had enriched the life of the people and led to no complications. With the absorption of modern Western manufactures and systems or ideas, trouble began to spring up. Like the modern sulfa drugs, they cure diseases, but sometimes cause serious reactions, which may prove fatal. To absorb Western civilization with less violence of reaction is the problem China has yet to face. It calls for experiment and scientific research, which again are Western products. Machine tools to make all modern machinery mental, social, or industrial. Thank、you
Welcome to A Light on Literature, a representation of timeless works from Chinese literature. Today's narration by Tang Daming is Tides from the West, a Chinese autobiography written by Chang Mengling. Chang Mengling was a well-respected Chinese educator. He served as the education minister of the Republic of China in the late 1920s before being appointed president of Peking University in the 1930s. This autobiography reads like a movie script that takes you back to experience what China was like a century ago. Enjoy. Morals and Intellect when for the first time I read the Greek philosophers in the ethics class in California, I began to feel, as I have said before, that Chinese thinkers in ancient times were enclosed in an atmosphere of morals, while the Greeks possessed the quality of all-piercing intellect. As I read more books on Greek life and culture, it became more clear and convincing to me that some such striking contrast did exist between ancient Chinese and Greek thought, and that among other causes, this was probably the main one for the divergence in development of Eastern and Western civilizations. Perhaps this assertion will seem rather too sweeping. But as my experience grew with the years, I could not see it otherwise, and I still believe it to be so. After my return from abroad, I constantly tried to drive home to the minds of my people the importance of the development of intellect. The names of Socrates, Plato and Aristotle appeared in my lectures and writings so often that I was caricatured by tabloid papers in Shanghai as a man with mouthfuls of Plato and Aristotle. Seeing that I was not carrying the public with me, I gave it up as a bad job and changed my tactics to preaching the study of natural science. Instead of leading people to the source of the current, I reversed the process by letting them see the current first. Naturally, they would go back to the sources later on. My compatriots, children of ages of practical sense, had rebuked me for forgetting the true nature of my own people. A prominent Chinese scientist once was asked why China has not developed natural science. He offered four reasons. First, the belief of Chinese scholars in yin, the negative, and yang, the positive, as complementary principles of the universe. Second, the belief in the five elements, metal, wood, water, fire, and earth, as the constituents of the universe, and the application of this analysis of the material world around us to human life, even to medicine. Third, the Chinese rule of thumb ways, which are an enemy to accurate calculations. Fourth, the aversion of scholars to using their hands or doing manual work. All these may be obstacles to the growth of natural science, but quite aside from them, I do not believe that natural science would have grown up. It could not, for our attention was not directed along that line. My people are most interested in things practical, something useful to them. 
I often noticed in America that when people were shown something, they were apt to say, "That's interesting." The response for my own people in like case would be, "What is the use of it?" This shows the truth of the common Chinese saying that the virtuous see virtue, while the wise see wisdom in the things they come in contact with. A difference in mental attitude produces different manifestations of interest. The use of a thing interests my people more than the thing itself. Chinese thinkers see all things in their relation to men, to moral applications, to artistic or poetic sense, or to practical use. The scientific thought of ancient Greece found its origin in Egypt and Babylon. Babylonian astronomy and Egyptian geometry, like astronomy and mathematics in China, aimed at practical applications. But the intellectual quality of the Hellenic genius was to seek the general truth in these sciences by generalizing and formulating their principles, a process which paved the way for the discovery of natural law. For the Greeks, there were two worlds. The world of the senses and the world of reason. The senses deceive us; therefore, the philosopher should not trust his sense impressions, but develop his reason. It was not for its practical use that Plato insisted upon the study of geometry, but in order to develop the faculty of abstraction and train the mind to correct and vigorous thinking. Applying these powers to ethics and politics. Plato laid the foundation of Western social philosophy, and by their application in studying the reality of concrete things, Aristotle laid the foundation of physical science. For Aristotle trusted reality as seen through the senses. His was a great systematizing intellect which has left its imprint on nearly every branch of knowledge. For him to know properly involved a correct use of the senses as well as of the reason. The advance of science depends upon development of both speculation and observation. From applied mathematics, Aristotle deduced certain general laws, the study and exploration of which provided a form of mental gymnastics, through which he disciplined a powerful and penetrating intellect. And by means of the same well-exercised intellect and right use of the senses, he created a system of knowledge which has been the foundation of modern science. Logic and the theory of knowledge were outgrowths of these same intellectual exercises, which systematized Western thought. And that was the second part of Chapter Thirty-Three of the book, "Tides from the West," a Chinese autobiography written by Chang Monglin, read by Tang Daming, and published by the Foreign Language Teaching and Research Press. Some names and terminologies in this book have been updated for contemporary usage. Join us again next time on A Light on Literature for the third part of Chapter Thirty-Three. I'm Huang Rei. See you next time. Welcome to a light on literature. 
a representation of timeless works from Chinese literature. Today's narration by Tang Daming is Tides from the West, a Chinese autobiography written by Chang Mengling. Chang Mengling was a well-respected Chinese educator. He served as the education minister of the Republic of China in the late 1920s, before being appointed president of Peking University in the 1930s. This autobiography reads like a movie script that takes you back to experience what China was like a century ago. Via this book, readers can relive the quiet village life of Chan's childhood, the fast-changing urban life of his teen years, and the impact of his growing awareness of Western thought, as well as the years of studying abroad that would shape his thinking. Enjoy. Enjoy.